Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Mailbag Friday edition of the Rebel Report podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The people's holiday is back. Slow on this week. I can't imagine there being too many questions, but we'll dive into those. We've got some picks. Uh, I'd like to talk some President's Cup. I have no idea if you watched or not anything last night. I flipped back and forth between that and the football game and then watched the end. Uh, and then some interesting I, – I, Got a, I got tipped off on something last night that was occurring in Jackson, golf course-wise. You may have heard of it. We'll get to that in a second, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, so, pack show today. I'm sure there'll be tons of Lane Kiffin. We've got some staff announcements. Uh, we've got a decommitment. All kinds of stuff to get to. What's up? Yeah, not a whole lot on this Friday. I didn't realize there was a decommitment. Shows how locked in I am. Uh, no, no, you did. Club. It was just a couple of days ago. Uh, Ashford. Oh, oh, yeah, the quarterback. Um, yeah, we said. Since we did a Tuesday pod, we just hadn't had one since then. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating to me because, uh, I mean, he's obviously a talented kid considering his offer list, but uh, they recently offered this kid in Texas who only has one year as a, a starter in high school. So it, his recruiting ranking is, is actually not good, but it, the film looks okay for whatever that's worth to you. I'm certainly not a recruiting analyst, but his offer sheet's good. And he is a pro-style quarterback. And then you had Lane Kiffin show up on uh, Golick and Wingo this morning, uh, just another uh, national platform that is asking for Ole Miss's head football coach. Imagine saying that over the last three years. Uh, and he was asked about John Rice Plumley, and, I mean, he kind of danced around it, uh, didn't say much about uh, – because the way they talked about Plumley was, well, you've got this quarterback that, you know, returning starter, and Kiffin kind of danced around it and talked about – how it's nice to have quarterbacks that can run, but it doesn't really seem like he cares all that much about it. Uh, so I found that interesting because Ashford is a, a dual-threat guy for sure, also a baseball player. Uh, this kid from Texas is a – he can run a little bit, but he, he's a he's a more of a pro-style quarterback. And, and now Kiffin's on a national radio show not even uh, mentioning Plumlee by name. It's probably nothing, probably overthinking it, but I think it's worth noting that um, the quarterback that they're going to sign in this class is very different than the one that Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez were going to sign. Yeah, and you make a good point, and all that's true. But even if you throw all that out aside, like just all of that, like notwithstanding, you've got three freshman or not three freshman quarterbacks. You've got three. You got a true sophomore and two redshirt freshman quarterbacks. No, no, wait, that's not right. A redshirt sophomore, a true sophomore, a re- and two redshirt freshman quarterbacks. In the room, if you had Kincaid did in there, and so all of that aside, like the odds of that happening again, because you knew there was going to be quarterback attrition, or at least you thought I would have guaranteed quarterback attrition until all of this happened. Like, I'm not saying this is the reason they decommitted or they moved off him. I don't know what happened. I don't pretend to cover recruiting closely until we get to like what next Wednesday and the early signing period and all that when they're actually signing their LOIs. But I don't think it's the. I'm not trying to like like spin this, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world when you have a full quarterback room and no one's an upperclassman still, again, for the second year in a row. Right. Like and everything you said and all that plays into it too, but even just the simple fact that you have four underclassmen in the room already. 
I still can't believe there's no attrition. I mean, even between Corral and Tisdale, like, like those are, they're only one year apart. I mean, I guess it's conceivable that Matt Corral throws for 5,000 yards this year and goes to the NFL and then Tisdale steps in with three years of eligibility left, but they're still so close together that I cannot believe that uh, one of them decided, you know what, like, hey, uh, I, I like Lane Kiffin, but I still need to go start somewhere. Because well, I think that, this I think entire that's like thing that. is starting over again. I think they can start. I think they think none, none of them think they've lost the job yet. I think they think it's up for grabs. And if they lose it this time, they're definitely transferring, right? I mean, like, they're not, they, they, like, it wouldn't shock me if they lost it. I know a lot of these guys don't announce starting, like, some of these coaches go the route of not announcing the starting quarterback until classes start, which to me is kind of diabolical, but I guess I understand it. Um, but, like, there, I there bet be you'll have an answer after year. spring. Uh, there will be some kind of separation after spring, I bet. Even if they don't say it, you'll know it by someone will move. Like, yeah, the writing will be on the wall, at least in the room, to some degree, even if it's still an open competition. But, yeah, I, I, it's hard to believe that it turned out this way. But in the same in the same light, once they did make the coaching change, it kind of makes perfect sense. Because Corral obviously got a raw deal in all of this. We talked about it on a Wednesday show. Like, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever you thought of the decision-making at quarterback, he did get screwed in all of that. Because it wasn't really performance-based. If you want to point at the third quarter of Cal, uh, if you point at the Memphis game, I can't, really, I, I can't really talk football with you if you thought Corral was the problem in that. But if you want to point at the third quarter of Cal at the end of the first half, that's fine. But, then, man, that's a really small sample size for pulling a bug on a freshman. So it wasn't performance-based. Tisdale, I don't think, ever felt he got a fair shake. But to like judging based off the little I've seen at Tisdale, and I went back and watched some high school stuff, and I don't watch kids' highlight tapes. I, I don't pretend to like try to analyze kids' recruiting things because uh, I don't think Siski would mind me sharing this. One day at practice, he was like, he was like, what the hell is a highlight tape? I don't watch a highlight tape. Why in the world would I watch the best plays these guys compile together themselves? Like, it's like I'm trying to watch game film. I was like, that actually makes sense. Point being, I don't do any of that, not pretending to. But you could probably see how Grant Tisdale wasn't the greatest fit with Rich Rod. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it, so he never got a chance. Really, no. I mean, not not got a chance. He was really just behind the eight ball from day one. So then this change happens, and. Honestly, if you're if you're making me if if you're making me prognosticate right now, I would honestly give a an edge to Tisdale and Corral right now as far as winning the gig over Plumley. Whether it's baseball, whether it's being able to throw the ball down the field better, like what you name it, I would give them a little bit of an edge, even though that's kind of weird to say because technically he's the incumbent starter, but he didn't even finish the egg bowl. What a weird situation. Yeah, um, and it kind of just not a shows. Bad one. No, it's a good situation to have. I mean, you've got three quarter uh, morales. Uh, morale Corral's kind of the hybrid between uh, Plumley and Tisdale. I, Matt Corral's a better runner than people give him credit for. He's not Plumley, but people are like, "Oh, well, he's just the throwing quarterback." Well, not really, because when they did use him in design runs, he was pretty successful at it. They just didn't. The way they used both of those guys is still mind blowing. I, I just I don't get it's it. Malpractice. Because Corral could have been effective in the run game. And you saw in the Egg Bowl for a little while, Plumley at times could sit in the pocket and make throws. But they just, it was Ely left, Plumley right, roll out right, throw it at Elijah Moore's feet, punt the football. And yeah, and so. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And I'm just, 
it, it shows, and I don't understand how a guy with 20 years of football play calling experience in Rich Rodriguez like signed off on that. There had to have been some kind of disconnect there because there's no way you can convince me that that guy at that experience level thought that that was the best course of action for his offense. Or maybe it was, and he's just completely lost it. What was interesting to me about this, and we beat this quarterback thing throughout football season, uh, like into the ground. It was the, the only story that was interesting all season, to tell you the yeah, truth. Yeah, that, that's a big part of it. But to me, I never under no, we never got a straight answer as to who was actually making these decisions to put which one of them in the game. It may have been as simple as it was Rich Rodriguez. I don't think it was directly Matt Luke at all. But again, Rich Rodriguez isn't on the field. And I know it doesn't take much to sub a guy from the box. But something to me, to me, there's some kind of disconnect. And I think if we actually found out who was actually like what was going into these decisions specifically and who all had to say, things would be a little bit more clear. But along those lines, what I was going to say was you mentioned all of that. Like, I don't. Maybe this is just going out on a limb. Maybe this is a reach. Maybe this is first take stuff. I don't care. I'm just going to throw it out there. You, you had the thing the Sunday night after the Sunday night Matt got fired talking about how half the team's going to transfer, blah, blah, blah. They get a new coach, and they have people pulling their name out of the transfer portal, and then the two pissed-off quarterbacks decide to come back. Isn't, isn't Some of that has to be an indictment on the previous staff, doesn't it? Oh, without a doubt. I get that they love the they all those kids love Matt Luke and all that, but some of that has to be an indictment on the previous staff because they butchered the quarterback situation. Uh, Gregory obviously felt he wasn't being developed. Now I'm not going to put Demarcus Gregory's growth or lack thereof uh, completely on the coaching staff because I don't know enough about it. And there was there was I think if look they put three four receivers on the field at the time and he wasn't one of them even before he put his name in the transfer portal. I don't know what that means, but I, you can't put that totally on the coaching staff. All I'm saying is if dudes are actively pulling their name out of the portal like after they make a coaching change, I, I some of that has to be an indictment, particularly when it comes to quarterbacks on the previous staff. Some of it at least has to go there. Yeah, and I mean there was never an official word about Matt Corral. I mean he even said on Twitter like, hey, I, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, somebody said, hey, glad you're back. And he's like, well, I didn't go anywhere, but – I mean, there was no doubt he was leaving, right? If all things would have been the same, he was going to leave. Yeah. I mean, and, yes, yes. And the fact that he was put through all of that, and I, we, we talked about this last week, and I had somebody send me a direct message calling me an idiot because, um, you know, that's what people do. But he did get screwed. He was paraded around all offseason. We've talked about this before as the guy, you know, they they released that video of Matt Luke after the Egg Bowl saying, remember this because it's your team now. And they take him to SEC media days. And I know people think that doesn't matter. But the message that you're sending your redshirt freshman quarterback when you take him to an event like that is you are the face of the program. The guys that go to that event are the faces of the program. The three out of 85 guys that a school wants people to be asking them about that school. Like, they're, they're representatives of the school, and he was the only person there that anybody gave a damn about. And you start him, and it doesn't go all that well, but he shows some flashes and he shows some struggles, and he gets benched, and the offense doesn't work, and they 
spend the, the rest of the season talking about how, whoa, we really have two starting quarterbacks when anybody with a functioning brain could tell you that that's just complete BS, that they would throw him in the game randomly just to like maybe keep him happy because it didn't make any sense at all, and he still decides to come back or stay. I mean, that's a kid that clearly really enjoys where he is and really likes where he is, well, college-wise, football-wise, whatever. All for of that stuff that had some baggage to it. I was just going to say real quick, well, on top of that point, for someone that had some baggage in the recruiting process, he handled all of this very maturely. Oh, extremely. And he comes into the Egg Bowl and it, probably should have thrown uh, more than just that one interception. But in that moment, in that game, stepping in completely cold with 640 left to go in the game, he played well. So after all that crap, after, after sitting through all that, watching his offense struggle in the Egg Bowl and stepping into what is real. I mean, it's a hostile environment. Uh, cowbells ringing, all that stuff. And he comes in and he led what should have been the game-tying touchdown drive. It, it says a lot about the kid. Going through all that, never saying anything negative, never putting anything negative on social media. And sticking around. Because even though Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez and Jacob Peeler and all these guys are going to be gone, he still has every reason to want to go. Yeah, I This is third offensive coordinator in three years. Yeah. And it's not just third offensive coordinator. Third offensive philosophy. Like, it'd be different if they were kind of running the same system. It's three completely different philosophies in three years. Yeah. Uh, Shea Patterson kind of fell victim to some of the same stuff, too, um, with regards to coaching turnover and offensive coordinator turnover and stuff like that. Uh, definitely makes it tough on a development. Let's. Uh, was that a question? I don't, actually don't even remember. Uh, we'll get to it if it's there. Let's see. All right, let's get to these mailbag questions, starting from the top. Any word on the Ole Miss volleyball coaching search? Do you think it'll affect the recruiting class? Yes, decimated. <laughs> Where is the toy boat story, race story? I sent it to Borky. I it's out there. Go look. Google Heber Springs boat rippy is how I got it. Does Joe Moorhead need to hire an offensive coordinator? That came from good friend of the program Jay Shell, but the question was asked by another friend of the program Cooper Reed. That's actually kind of an interesting question, but it's not happening. Would he be better off though at this point? Um, it depends on who you could hire, I guess. But yeah, he's, uh, he, he's very confident in himself and at times it shows, uh, stubbornness. I've, I've never had a problem with the head coach calling plays because you've had enough successful guys at, at every level do it and win football games. Like Sean Payton calls plays and he's got a Super Bowl. Dan Mullen calls plays. He won at Mississippi State more than anybody else ever has. Like it, Lane Kiffin will call plays. Maybe not exclusively, but he'll do it. It, it. At every level, there is examples of coaches that call plays, and it works. But something has to be done at Mississippi State. Because, and I know this is an Ole Miss podcast, but whatever. The way they, and I've said it 100 times on the radio show, because it's the biggest problem with that program, and for whatever reason, it. It, he never, I guess it's not his job to explain to us why that happens, but there is no indication for why 
they start games so poorly. And it doesn't so, have to be complicated, though. They hired an offense. They had two of the best defenses in college football the last two years. I know this year wasn't as good, but I think at full strength it was really good. They hired an offensive guru, and the offense is the problem. Like, that seems like a problem. Yeah, and it, it's – one of the biggest disconnects, uh, I think, is how before every snap, they line up, look at the defense, look at him, get the call, call the play, run the play. It's weird. And, I mean, that's what leads to so many early penalties and drives. Because, they're ta- Rippy, there's been delay of game penalties to start drives for them. Like, they take the field and then have a delay of game penalty. It's weird. coming it- back from Alabama, we were eating somewhere, and they had just gotten that game started against Auburn. And I think something like that happened. Yeah, and... I mean, he's he is praised as an offensive mind. Um, the, the guys over that at SB Nation stinks, though. It's awful. It stinks out loud. With the SEC's leading rusher, believe it or not. And the thing is, he was held under 50 yards four times this season. So he's a great back and had a great season. I'm not taking that away from him, but when a guy that good is held under 50 yards four times in a season, when you didn't face four elite rush defenses. I mean, even LSU. LSU's run defense is not very good and just shut him down completely. It's it's a bizarre situation there because well, it makes you want – You know how low the bar has gotten when I was – I remember me and Haydad did our post-game periscope of the Egg Bowl and I was giving credit for more than the offensive game plan just because they were competent enough to put up 21 points. And I kind of started thinking about it after and I was like, well, this guy's supposed to be the best offensive mind in the country. They hired him, and you're giving him credit for finding a way to run for, you know, 180 on the ground and put up 300 yards of offense or whatever. Against an Ole Miss defense that, at that point, was kind of depleted and has a bunch of freshmen everywhere and, and couldn't stop anybody through the air at all. It It's a fascinating situation there in Starkville. I think the, the same conversation will be had at the Egg Bowl next year, Rippy, the one you just had. I think all- it's inevitable. He's getting canned next year. It's like what? Just let's be realistic for a second. And I don't cover state. I don't get to watch a ton of them, but I I I know enough in listening to Haydad and all that. You're delaying the inevitable. Do you think he's turning this around next year? Uh, without Kylan Hill. Yeah, without- I'm not rooting against the guy. He seems like a nice man. I don't care. I it, it, I don't care one way or another. I'm just being real with you. Like we do have a few state people who listen to this podcast. What are the odds he's actually turning this around with uh, presumably a little bit worse defense? No Kylan Hill. Granted, he's got Schrader coming back at quarterback. I like him. They're not really upgrading at receiver that I know of. Where is the turnaround coming? They're not happy with six wins. and I, The way they got to him, I don't necessarily blame their fan base. What What are the odds he's actually turning that around? I'm going to put it at like 0.5%. Uh, like you're delaying the inevitable. Yeah, we will have the exact same conversation that we had at the Egg Bowl this past year, next year. Winning that game just kicked the can down the road, but there, I mean, there are – or at least one power player in particular at Mississippi State, a pretty important one. Um, and this isn't saying anything that nobody doesn't already know. Um, this may fire some people up because, God forbid, you say that one school cares about the Egg Bowl. Uh, but there is a a particular power player at Mississippi State that values beating Ole Miss a lot. That when Mississippi State beats Ole Miss, it makes this particular person extremely happy. And that's what led to his extension. I think if all things were, um, if all things were the same, I have a feeling deep down that John Cohen knows that it's not a fit and it won't work. I think he knows that. 
I, yeah. I really do because it's not a fit, man. It doesn't work. You cannot have your coach. And, and I like Joe Moorhead. He's good to us. I mean, anytime we ask for him to come on the radio, he does. And it, um, he, he's kind of a quirky guy. He'll talk about uh, old Pittsburgh Steelers teams and his his favorite rap group and stuff. Like, he's, he's an interesting guy, and, and he's nice to us. But you cannot, after you win a game, to get to six wins, which is a second year of what should be underachievement for what the program is he took over, and talk shit to a portion of your fan base. You can't do that. It, so not only are you not performing, but you're not particularly likable either. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a weird move. And I am mad. I mean, there's so much pent up frustration. And I mean, because there was that story that came out that his kids heard uh, fans yelling at him as they were walking off the field at Tennessee. And I cannot imagine. I really can't. Uh, how tough that is. I mean, it's still. Sometimes people can get to me when they say things to me about you know the work that we do. And sometimes that kind of bothers me. I cannot imagine being a football coach with my young daughter by my side getting screamed at by some jackass in a hoodie about how terrible I am and my daughter starts crying as I walk off a football field. Cannot imagine what that's like. But even when that happens, you have got to know that that is not unique to Mississippi State. Hugh Freeze walked off the field getting yelled at by students. By the way, he yelled back at them. That was a, a moment that uh, most people just kind of completely ignored. But um, And uh, almost people loved Hugh Freeze, and he was overachieving. And fans yelled at him as he was walking off the field. Like, you've just got to know that that's going to happen everywhere. The Bob, Bob from Bogachito comment, the they can go kick rocks, and all of that stuff, it's further isolating people away from you that – don't have confidence in you. So even though we got an extension, and that's great, I, I, I feel bad for the guy because I don't think it fits. I don't think he realized what he was taking over when he started at Mississippi State, and the personalities just do not mesh. Over under six and a half wins for Ole Miss football next year. Under. I think they get to six. Four, five, six. I'm actually going to go over. I'll go seven and five. I mean, the schedule sets up really well for them to, I mean, not make a bowl game with ease, but that should be the expectation, right? Because all you have to do is beat SEMO, Vanderbilt, UConn, Arkansas, Georgia Southern, and a combination of of either Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Florida, or Baylor. All you have to do is win one of those four games to get to 6-6. Six and six. Yeah, I mean, basically you've got built-in wins at Southeast Missouri. Wait, so they canceled Middle Tennessee. It's UConn, right? I've got the university. It's UConn, but that's a guarantee. Okay. They have 20 players in the South, transfer portal. South, that's a guaranteed South, win. Southeast, UConn. At Vanderbilt, you can't really guarantee that a win because that kind of in some ways has been a house of horrors for Ole Miss when the program hasn't been good. When Ole Miss has been a good program, they go up there and they smash Vanderbilt. When they've been bad, Vanderbilt beats them. It's really kind of a good uh, temperature gauge for where Ole Miss is at as a program is that game in Nashville 
that's usually at night in a half-field stadium. It's usually cold as hell. It'll be in October this year, so probably not that bad. So you've got Southeastern um, SEMO is one. I'll give you Vanderbilt for right now just for the sake of the argument, too. Middle three, Georgia Southern four, and then Arkansas, not guaranteed again, but they're probably going to stink five. So that's five wins that you feel really good about. All you, I mean, you basically just need two, like, you need a win you're not supposed to have. And then all you really are banking on is state, AM, Auburn, or Baylor, or really AM, Auburn, or Baylor being down because I don't like, like, it never happens the way you think it's going to happen a year out to where all those programs are as good as they were. And I know a and supposed to take off next year. Auburn looks pretty good with a freshman quarterback, but loses a bunch on defense. Baylor, obviously, you know, was a win away from the college football playoff. A lot can change. I mean, basically, you're talking about beating State and one of those programs being down and you winning one of those games to get to seven. So I'll um, maybe I'm drinking the Lane Kool-Aid too much. You could accuse me of that if you want. I don't know. I, I think next year there's a real opportunity for him to get kind of have a 2012 Birmingham Bowl moment, I think they get to six and six, not easily, but I think something really bad would have to happen for them not to have a good shot at six wins. I think they get to seven. So I'll reluctantly go over. That might be the most friendly I've given Ole Miss football in an over-under in quite a long time. Uh, well, I mean, it's amazing what happens when they hire proven football coaches. That's the thing that's driving me nuts about in this state in particular with Lane Kiffin is – uh, when you say something, whether it be on the radio or on Twitter or something, and you have non-Ole Miss fans tell you that he's a bad football coach. And it's like, look, you can – I understand why people do that because they're fans and fans do irrational stuff. But if you're trying to tell me that he's not a good football coach, then that's not even a starter. Like, can't speak to you. Can't have a conversation. You can say, I don't think he's grown up yet. I think he's going to leave Ole Miss after one year and crash and burn, and the NCAA is going to come calling. Sure, whatever. If that's what you want to make your argument, fine. But if it's not a good football coach, I can't talk to you. Yeah, just the stops have been brief, and he's had off-the-field stuff. But all, most of his on-the-field stuff has been okay. I mean, he went 7-6 and six in one year at Tennessee. People use like to use that against him. It really wasn't a bad 7-6, and six, and, you know, he didn't really see it through after that. Um, and he had two top ten recruiting classes at Tennessee, and they won five games the previous two seasons before he took over. Right. And it, who was the quarterback? Jonathan Crompton? I don't remember. I can't remember that far back. I just remember they used to wear those bad orange pants. He did get on those black jerseys that were pretty cool, but Tennessee should stick with their traditional uniforms. Um, take a break real quick. Tell you podcast brought to you by LBs. We've got the LBs pick them coming up. Um, probably have Greg on when we get bowl season back and get you some bowl season locks. Uh, so that'll be next mailbag Friday. Cause I believe bowl games start next Saturday, but LB's best place in Oxford, University, uh, university Avenue, across from Kroger, best place in Mississippi to get meat. He's got all kinds of specials going on. The lane train special. He's got some kind of Kermit Davis special. He's got bacon wrap fillets, custom cuts, seafood, all kinds of stuff. Lane Kiffin likes seafood. So go see Greg university Avenue across from Kroger. Let's see what the next question was. Will Lane Kiffin have a no photo policy at the bar like a former coach? Well, the la- the former coach that you're speaking of didn't drink. He just did a little tobacco, but he's trying to quit. Uh, do we think Pat- Do we think Kiffin is a Patrick Reed guy or no? Great question. I would actually think Kiffin would love Patrick Reed. 
Why were people giving Patrick Reed so much shit for the the shovel celebration? Look, I, I mean, he's he's obviously got some issues, right? The guy's got got some issues, and he gets caught cheating again. But if people are going to yell at you obsessively about doing it, you take their power away from them by doing a shovel celebration. Like people already hate you, so who cares? I'm going to do my little shovel, and, and now. You can't yell at me about it anymore because I've turned the tables on you. It's like what Mississippi State people did with Stark Vegas. Like, people used to call it that as a joke because it's very far from Stark Vegas. But they kind of used it. Like what Ross Bjork was trying to use WAOM for. Like, just turn it on his heels. It didn't work for Ross, obviously, because he, you know, uh, signed Matt Luke to a contract that is still mind-blowing. Um the finances and the lack of mitigating language and the fact that Ole Miss will have to pay $166,000 a month for the next four years, that kind of stuff. But I kind of liked seeing him do that. Everybody hates you already. So take that power away from him. Do the shovel celebration. You're already a douchebag, so who cares? I don't mind Patrick Reed as a uh, – I, like, I, I don't care what kind of person Patrick Reed is, I guess is what I'm saying. Like That's really not like anything I should be interested in, but I uh, – I don't necessarily mind Patrick Reed as the like being a, like a story in golf, just because I think it's kind of fun to have a villain. I thought what he did last night was funny. What's interesting though is like, yeah, Reed's been caught. Reed has a documented history of cheating, and that's why this is a bigger story as it is. But in golf, to me, there's a difference between, and I'm not advocating either one is okay. But in golf, to me, there's a difference between blatantly cheating and like I guess kind of. Uh, bending the rules or being cavalier with the rules and what he did in that sand trap seems to fall right on the line between the two and i can't decide which one but like the pub the court of public opinion decided for him because it's patrick creed so i don't necessarily have a problem with this i mean he's not dropping balls he's not like moving something out of a hazard yes he was improving his lie in a waste bunker which technically isn't a hazard you can't do that i mean it's technically by the letter of the law against the rules therefore it is cheating but to me there's a difference between blatantly cheating and being cavalier with the rules to your advantage to where if that was any other guy it wouldn't be as big of a deal i think ricky fowler said as much but i thought what he did yesterday was hilarious uh good for him for being kind of self-aware uh i thought him bringing the kid out during the practice round to give him a signed ball and acting like you know he's not a monster was kind of funny just because that was so forced and so just faked and like the most like classic like here look look at look I'm a good guy type of thing but I I thought it was funny I think Kiffin and Patrick Reed though uh, that would be an interesting conversation to get in a room. Um, Kiffin and anybody would probably be interesting to get in a room. Yeah, that's a good point. They went to a game together. Reed would complain about the seats. Uh, how do you think SEC teams feel about the Kiffin hire? I think. Particularly for whether you want to admit it or not, I do think that other schools are, I'm not saying like shaking in their boots about Lane Kiffin, but I, 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 they've gotten to like they've basically had the luxury of Ole Miss not behaving like an actual SEC West member institution for the better part of the last decade and a half. And now they actually are and they have a coach that's going to run the program like such. So I imagine no one's actually thrilled about that, whether it works or not. I'm not saying you're guaranteed that this is going to work. But them just behaving like a normal SEC coach, I mean, a normal SEC West member, and having a kind of a coach to that caliber probably doesn't make them feel great. I mean, for the last three years, four years really, but the last three years, Ole Miss has been a, a easy win. 
I mean, when you looked at the schedule before the season as a fan, you would just mark, mark a W next to Ole Miss if you were Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas a the good teams in the SEC West. You just put a W right next to Ole Miss, and it's worked out the same way for Mississippi State as well. I mean, they've dominated. Uh, they didn't dominate last year's Egg Bowl, but, um, I mean, Joe Moorhead's undefeated against Ole Miss. It was just a, an easy win. I heard Cowherd make this point. Believe it or not, actually had a, a take that I, I thought was uh, a good one. Even though I don't think Nick Saban is going to end up at the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he floated that out there, and his first reason was he won't be the dominant recruiter in the SEC West anymore. He said because, I mean, for his entire tenure at Alabama, he has had Les Miles and Baton Rouge, who recruited well, but uh, Nick Saban was light years ahead of Les Miles in coaching and recruiting ability. Now you've got Gus in your own state, who does recruit well, and he did beat you this year. Uh, you've got Ed Orgeron, who is doing the right things at LSU, recruiting like gangbusters. And then he mentioned Lane Kiffin. He said, and now in the SEC West, you had a guy like Lane Kiffin, who is nationally known as uh, an elite recruiter. Yeah, this is the same cowherd that said Ole Miss only wins games because they're cheating, has now done a complete 180 to say that they have an elite recruiter in Lane Kiffin. And now that makes it easier for Nick Saban to try to make the jump back to the NFL because his job is getting more difficult by the presence of a guy like Lane Kiffin in his division. I cannot believe that came from Colin Cowherd, but I, and I don't think Nick Saban's going to the Cowboys, but that's where they don't like it, at least. They're not afraid of Ole Miss, and they're not afraid of Lane Kiffin, because if you're afraid of him, you shouldn't be coaching in the SEC West. But none of them like it. Like, if you're, if you're a fan thinking, oh, I'm so glad Ole Miss hired Lane Kiffin, I promise you, your coach is not. Because... Now a heavy hitter in recruiting has stepped up to the plate, and a guy that can win more than four football games in a season has stepped up to the plate. Ole Miss now, it, maybe it'll be different this year because I don't think they're beating Alabama or LSU and probably not Auburn, but if Lane Kiffin stays at Ole Miss for more than one season, that automatic W that they've had next to their name as you're filling out your schedule before the season is gone. What does a traditional Lane Kiffin offense look like? What does a traditional Lane Kiffin defense look like? Well, I think he's going to keep Mike McIntyre. It all sounds, uh, all signs seem to point that direction. So you'll still have the three four next year. Lane runs a more traditional spread offense. I mean, it's you know decent bit of pre snap motion, some read option, but as his quarterback stay in the pocket, it is a much more traditional spread offense where like it's. I mean, it'll look very different than Mike. I mean, excuse me, Rich Rodriguez's run spread type of thing that I would say is about as unconventional as you'll find in today's college football, you know, barring triple option or something like that. So it's it's a very traditional um, run heavy, pass heavy. I would say it's probably actually fairly balanced. I don't have numbers in front of me to back that up. But basically, I looked at this on some video on this the last couple of nights, and he does run the football pretty well. But I here I'm about to go look it up right now I, while we're sitting here saying that, uh, but it's a, as far as design and scheme, it is a much more traditional spread offense. Uh, look, will look a lot different than last year. For sure. And uh, he actually knows what a tight end is, believe it or not. Well, he just had the guy win the Mackey award, right? I saw that last night. He did. And he's the, the nation's leading receiver uh, as a tight end and is the potential first tight end off the board in the draft. And there's one tight end prospect in particular that lives, oh, uh, you know, just a few minutes off of campus there at Ole Miss 
that would not have at all gone to Ole Miss if there was not a coaching change. He still may very well not, but uh, I imagine uh, that award show last night will be uh, known to him very soon. Threw it 463 times and passed it 503. I would say that's about Wait, wait. Threw it and passed it? Uh, no, excuse me. Ran, sorry. Threw, threw it 463 times, ran it 504. So that's about as balanced as you're going to get because you got to think a lot of that's team rush. Or not a lot of that. Some of that's team rush. That, to me, is about as balanced as you're possibly going to get. So, again, and probably more, ran the football uh, later in games because, they were. I mean, they were pretty dominant. Uh, yeah, lot. I mean – once they got through their conference schedule, they uh, they beat the shit out of people. Like they they ran through. I mean, how their co- their conference championship game was a beatdown in and of itself. Um, so much traditional, more much more traditional uh, type spread offense. I think it will be much more creative. I think you'll actually see them use the middle of the field. I think you'll actually see an Ole Miss uh, coach run a screen for the first time in three offensive coordinator tenures. So uh, it'll uh, definitely look much more traditional, like a college spread offense. Ole Miss fans in Houston against Baylor over under 20,000. Um, I'm so bad at this. I don't know. Probably right there. I don't know. I mean, what that stadium holds, 55, 60, it won't be full. I'm not trying to judge the Texas Tech game because that wasn't even close to be full. I'll go right at 20, whatever. I'll push. Right at 20,000? 20, yeah, 20K for the Ole Miss game in, against Baylor in Houston. Um, it holds 72. They ain't filling the upper decks of that bad boy, though. I don't even know. I'm not even sure they sold tickets there the last time against Houston. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I, well, would, I would doubt that thing's full. If Baylor keeps Matt Rule, even if they don't, I mean, they're still pretty, uh, pretty high on that program right now. And it's not Dallas, but I guess it's close enough where there should be some Baylor alums nearby to make that an easy trip for them. I would bet... If the over-under is 20, I'd go over. I'd bet around 30,000 Ole Miss fans make the trip. Don't forget, man, they haven't been to a bowl game in four years. No, yeah, that's true. I just uh, – 20,000 is a lot, particularly that's a taking lot. a game in Houston. Uh, but, yeah, no, over – I would go right at or over. I don't think I would go under. Um, how do you pronounce Elia Drinkwitz? Well, I just said it for you, but we're not there into phonetics is. on this podcast. I don't understand. Is his name Elia or Elia? I get like that's his full name, but like I don't understand the. Uh, he's, well, it sounds like he's going to go by Ey. Smart move, man. Because if you make your name longer, no one's going to remember it. Little life tip there. <laughs> uh, Kiffin and arguing makes Twitter more fun, but I've noticed a cor- corresponding infiltration of. Folks in the comments from other fan bases, is it worth it? Man, go look at Lane Kiffin's tweets for the last two years. He just loves to troll people. He has a weird, weird use of Twitter and social media, but it's oddly entertaining. I, uh, I don't quite understand it, but I think I find it very humorous. It's funny, and uh, I mean, he's a guy that I think he's the most followed college football coach on Twitter. Is that right? If not, if he's not number one, he's number two, and I don't know who number one would be. But that, I mean. Well, most college coaches aren't active on Twitter like he is. Like, he actually uses his account. Like, it's not some PR guy tweeting something. Does Nick Saban have a Twitter? I don't even know. No, hell no. But, like, you get my point. Like, he's using it himself. He's actually using it. I mean, hell, he's tweeting about changing his son's name, like, while he's getting ready to be introduced as head coach. I don't know. I I find it humorous. I don't quite understand it. Like, I don't understand his emoji uses. I don't understand. uh, He loves to tag random accounts and stuff in it. I, I... I uh, okay. <laughs> and what was it two years ago where he tagged the Pope and literally everything? 
Uh, yeah, and then like I, I used to love it. This I followed him before he was at Ole Miss, but like I used to love it when he would have some kind of like sports take or something, and he would just tag like Colin Cowherd, Paul Feinbaum, like ESPN College Football, and like maybe like Fox Sports Primetime. I don't know, just the most random collection of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess to get his take seen. I don't know. I find it humorous. Um, yeah, and um. <laughs> The, the reason you see so many fans of other schools in the mentions uh, and replies to it is because he's relevant. He's a name. I mean, with all due respect, nobody gave it. I mean, nobody cared to follow Matt Luke on Twitter. Now you've got a guy that's nationally polarizing. There's a reason he did Gullick and Wingo this morning. There's a reason that he skipped on Dan Patrick and they booked him for the next day. Like there's there's a reason all that stuff happens because he's nationally relevant. Don't don't be worried about other schools' fans and his Twitter mentions, man. He's just he is a polarizing name in college football and everybody, not everybody, but people want to follow him and people want to talk shit to him on Twitter. I mean, that's just what he is. Don't worry about it. He, uh, so I'm just looking up what he has done today so far. So he appears to have these motivational cards that he reads every day that he puts out on Twitter, which I would say is a much more, uh, digestible version than, uh, Hugh Freeze. Uh, basically getting in a pulpit every morning online. But they're basically these motivational things that he seems to read every morning. But then he's talking about going big game fishing or whatever, uh, recruiting-wise. And then I think he meant to do something with regards to the land sharks, but he tweeted a gif of a dolphin. Well, the way I saw or took that was the dolphins flipping, flipper that there's a recruit that he's after that's going to flip to Ole Miss. That's, okay. that's See, what I, I can't even read this guy's Twitter correctly. Uh, he's just way ahead of me. So, yeah. I that's the way I took it. it. It may not be the case, but that's what's so fun about this dude is he tweets a picture of the wall of a break room in Starkville, and people are up in arms, man. I, that, that kind of stuff is so funny to me and not at all serious, even though some people take it seriously. It's just – it's Twitter. It's goofy. It's December 13th. Like, who cares, you know? But people do. Uh, is Ole Miss going to explore the transfer portal at all for new players? Yeah, man, that's something you've pretty much got to monitor 24-7 now as, as a head coach. It's really like that's not a foreign concept anymore. So, I mean, Kiffin talked about this on at his introductory pressure about how his recruiting philosophies changed, his college football's changed. It's like we well, used to only have – used to have your four-year kids – uh, you have your occasional transfer, and then you decide how many JUCO kids you want to take. And now you got grad transfers, you got kids entering the transfer portal, waivers, all kinds of stuff. That's something they'll monitor all the time. Maybe they'll go tight end. Maybe they'll try to add an offensive lineman. I don't know, but I think that's something you have to monitor all the time. Now, I don't think that's just a uh, certain years type of thing. Yeah, the the answer he gave in the press conference was interesting about roster building. Um, I mean, he's certainly not going to be JUCO dependent or transfer dependent, but the way he described it is they're going to build rosters the way NFL teams do. Through the draft, which is recruiting, uh, through trades and free agency, which would be uh, transfer portal type stuff. There's there's more ways now to get players to play college football for you, and you so you don't just sign a class of 25 guys. If you need an offensive lineman and there's one in the portal, you, you go get him. If there's a guy at a JUCO level that can plug and play, you go get him. You don't just have to sign 30 freshmen to build your roster that way. There's other ways to go about it, and his approach is going to be, according to him, an NFL approach. Uh, take advantage of all of it. 
recruiting, transfers from JUCO, graduate transfers, portal transfers, and build a roster that way? Why would you not take advantage of it? Positions of need for Ole Miss, I, I, I mean, I guess it would still be offensive line and probably defensive line. Yeah, and they're losing a couple of uh, tight ends in Cooley and Pellerin. That might be one. They've got Chase Rogers, a kid from ULL, uh, that transferred or announced it in the spring or announced it in the fall. So a couple of different positions there. Last year, Ole Miss signed three quarterbacks and a redshirt freshman and had a redshirt freshman crowd. Now that all returning and offered Ashford, I think he means decommitted. I think we answered this question, uh, referred back to the beginning of the podcast. It's a good question. We just inadvertently hit on it before. Do you think he was recruited on the assumption that at least one would transfer? Always thought his commitment to be a fifth underclassman QB was odd. I agree with you. Um, again, if you listen to the beginning of the show, we just kind of inadvertently stumbled on that. But I think you're on to something there. Rumor has it Arkansas had been working on Kiffin for weeks. How did Arkansas screw this up so bad? They went 2-10 and ten back-to-back years, and it was a much bigger mess than um, Ole Miss was. And Matt Luke deserves some credit because it was a much more attractive job than it was in 17. They were talking about hiring Mike Leach in 17. To me, the SEC program doesn't talk about hiring Mike Leach unless you're really in a tight pinch and need to win some football games with not much talent. So uh, the short answer to that is Arkansas was a mess and Ole Miss really wasn't. Like, I... I like the, the notion that Ole Miss was a dumpster fire is kind of a year-and-a-half-old take. They were a much more stable program in 2019, despite sucking on the field, than most people want to lay uh, Most, I would say, outsiders uh, would probably understand. Yeah, and he alluded uh, to that fact. Uh, I think it was on Dan Patrick's interview. He asked about uh, other offers, and uh, he wouldn't get, in, get into specifics, but he said, yeah, I had other offers. I just – Ole Miss was – uh, the more attractive one right now. And in spite of what people in Arkansas have to, tried to tell you, they didn't move on. They had a multiple-week head start on him, and the money would have been there. It's just he preferred the roster that Ole Miss had over Arkansas. You can win right now with Ole Miss. You cannot win right now at, at Arkansas. Does Ole Miss fix their scoring problem? He's talking about hoops here. Before January 7th, or is A&M so bad I should be looking further ahead for actual signs of improvement? Well, man, they're going to Wichita State on January 4th before non-conference play. They kind of already hit the teeth of their non-conference slate in that four-game stretch. Um, and they kind of have a couple weeks to work on things. So like, what's, what people undersell all the time in college basketball is this time of year, I'm talking about right now with finals are finishing up, you have I guess it's a little different now because there are some leagues in conference play, but like for Ole Miss, the more tra- like this is the way it's been for a while is like you play once a week for three weeks and you basically have a ton of practice time because you're not in school. All you got is basketball. And that's when really teams, particularly ones with new pieces, kind of get better and turn corners. And I think Ole Miss needs that more than anything. As far as do they fix things offensively? I don't know. I, they, they've got to have their all American guards or all SEC guards start playing like all-league caliber guards. That's been a lot of their problem with scoring. That and K.J. Buffett can't stay out of foul trouble. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's as simple as just calling it a scoring problem. They're just, they have a lot of new pieces. They really The offense really hasn't flowed, particularly in half-court offense, all-new front court. But I think there will be a competent enough offensive team, but their backcourt is going to have to bring it every night. Shuler and, and Tyree can't disappear for a game or a two-game stretch. The way this team's constructed – that's just not going to fly. Like you may get away with it one night and Buffin goes for 30 or Henson plays pretty well 
or you have a knight from C down low. I but like other than that, they, they those guards are simply going to have to bring it every night. The team's not constructed for them to win any other way. Uh, Wichita State, by the way, beat Oklahoma State by nineteen on Sunday. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, what, what I, I get, people were concerned when Ole Miss went through that stretch, and they were honestly very fortunate to be one and three. But all four of those teams are going to play in the NCAA tournament. Memphis is ranked, and they get DJ Jeffries back. They're going to be a Final Four contender. Butler's going to contend to win that league. They took Scott Drews, who might have his best Baylor team ever down to the wire and lost by one the other night. Penn State beat just beat undefeated Maryland, and Oklahoma State's going to be a tournament team. All four of those teams are going to be very good NCAA tournament caliber teams. That was a brutal, brutal stretch that was probably a little bit undersold because of the names of, like, I don't know, Oklahoma State and Penn State in the middle. But those are four NCAA tournament teams. And so it was good experience for them. Like, it was a good measuring stick. They got a long way to go. But, like, those losses aren't going to kill them at all. All four of those teams are really quality quality teams that even just playing them are going to help their numbers some, that Penn State win is going to turn into a pretty good win. Is there a freshwater shark IPA being sold at Ole Miss yet? No, but I, I see where you're going there. That, that seems to be an opportunity for that. There's a land shark, but I don't think that's an IPA. I think that's a, some kind of lager. Um, um, well, they call it a lager, but, uh, I mean, it, it tastes like a Pilsner. It's uh, very, 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 very light, uh, made by Jimmy Buffett. And I cannot believe they're not available for sale uh, at Ole Miss sporting events. Yeah, no kidding. You can find them in gas station for a cheap like thirteen ninety nine a six pack. But I didn't know they were not sold in uh, the stadium. Kiffin has preached analytics on how his team plays football. How do you use analytics on a new Lane Kiffin team? Does this lack of data result in a slow start for Ole Miss going into next season? Man, he's talking about using data when it comes to decision-making, what the numbers say. Like, I don't think this is an Ole Miss-specific team. Like, he's not looking at batting average and stuff amongst his team. He's talking about playing the percentages and different things like that to where it's not Ole Miss-specific. So I don't think a lack of data will ever ever be an issue here. I don't think – Yeah. I think where, where, you're, where he's deriving that data from, I don't think is where you think it's coming from. He's talking about whether you go for it on a fourth and two or send a kicker out for a 50-yard field goal. Whether you punt here, what the numbers say on run versus pass, generally across football, not just with Ole Miss. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they'll probably go for two some as well. I mean, just depending on circumstances, but that, that's what it is. It's to aid decision-making, and uh, I highly doubt that you will ever see a Lane Kiffin coached Ole Miss team when down 21 points, kick a field goal to still be down three scores in the third quarter of a game in Baton Rouge. It, it's to prevent stuff like that. I mean, we what was it, the Cal game this past year? There was a, a field goal that Ole Miss missed uh, that would have had a two-score game remain a two-score game late in the fourth quarter. And they decided to kick the field goal, missed it anyway. It didn't matter. But the right call there, analytically, would have been to go for it on that fourth down, even though it was long, because the lack of possessions that you were going to get would have dictated you going for it. Instead of kicking that field goal, that wouldn't have changed anything at all. You still would have needed to get the football back twice. It's to help with those kind of decisions. Instead of trying to think it up on the fly, they basically... I don't know about Lane Kiffin, but coaches have charts on their play sheets that have down distance, score differential, point in the game, what to do. Kind of like the blackjack table 
that people see and study. You know, if you have a, a King 7 and the dealer shows this, this is what you do. They have those for football decisions as well. If you're down 14 and it's fourth down with seven minutes to go in the game, you go for it instead of kick a field goal because of this. Like, they have these charts that they make. I don't know if he'll use them, but I know coaches that do. It's that kind of stuff. You have three questions to ask any of the big three sitting head coaches right now. They have to answer them truthfully. What are your three questions and who are they for? I really don't have that anything that interesting to ask to the Lane Kiffin other than what his honest opinion of Al Davis is. I think I know generally the answer, but I'd like to get it in his words. <sighs> There's some question to be asked about Mike Bianco and his pitching situation and his pitching decisions in the 09 Super against Virginia. And I guess I'll go one of each just to be diplomatic here. I really don't have anything for Kermit other than did you actually think he'd get that team to the NCAA tournament last year? So I, I, I wish I'd had more time to think on this, but yeah, that's about it. I, I guess all three would need to go to Mike Bianco because there's not a big enough sample size anywhere else uh, as it pertains to Ole Miss. I could ask all three to Lane Kiffin that have nothing to do with Ole Miss, but yeah, that's about all I got. I'd want to ask Lane Kiffin if Nick Saban knows what his recruits get from boosters. Oh, I think that answer is definitely yes. I guess another question to ask Lane Kiffin is actually what like, is he actually driven because he wants to beat Nick Saban or is he really, really not like him because he fired him for the national title game in 16, 17, whatever that was? But did he fire him? I mean, see, I saw somebody say that the other day. I mean, he was going to take the FAU job. No, 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 no. He had already taken it. The, but, he took the job, and he, he was going back and forth and trying to work and do both, and he coached the playoff game, and then Kiffin fired him for the – and then Saban fired him for the national championship – because like maybe he was late to a meeting or something. Basically, they had agreed to let him do both. He wanted to finish it out, and they got through one playoff game. He was like, actually, you're not going to finish this out. Yeah, so it's not like he was fired for performance. He was fired because he took another job, a head coaching job. But I think Kiffin wanted to finish it out and felt like he was doing a decent job doing so, and Saban one day just kind of out of the blue blindsided him and was actually like, hey, no, you're not. That's fine. Um... Yeah, that's about all I got. That's a, I might have to come back to that question after I have uh, a little bit more time to think on it. Let's see. Make sure I'm not missing anything. Do you know what current Ole Miss targets are planning to wait till the late signing period? Uh, talk to me Wednesday, man. Um, yeah, well, we, uh, we don't recover recruiting close. Uh, closely on this podcast but uh on a scale of one to ten how great is tiger being back for the game of golf and overall well-being of the country in general i'll go 11 this is the greatest comeback story ever i find it fascinating uh there's a chance tiger i, I don't think he'll do this to i guess technically tonight but tomorrow in australia is like he's gonna have to sit out one of those sessions because i don't know how how you can play the role of captain and put yourself in both sessions tomorrow but just the fact that he's playing captain at 40-whatever he is in the President's Cup and playing better than anyone on that team is right now is pretty remarkable. I'd put it at an 11. Yeah, it's the um, – I mean, Mark Kerslick comes to mind. I mean, he beat cancer and then ended up playing in the NFL. But, I mean, it's the most polarizing, greatest comeback story in the history of sports. And does golf need him? 
anymore? I know that did, but do you think golf needs him now? Like, if, if he were to get injured again and hang it up, I mean, what happens? Oh, I mean, I mean, they're just the the rate. I mean, you wouldn't ever have ratings again, like Tiger Woods brings ratings. So sure, they'd like to siphon every bit of interest out of him for as long as they can. But I mean, that day is coming again where he's not going to be around eventually. It's just inevitable. So I mean, I think it's just more of a reality at this point. But yeah, I mean, that it the business is better when he's playing than when he's not. They need somebody to uh, come up like him. And you would think they had that guy, right? I guess nobody will ever be able to do it like Tiger Woods. But, I mean, I like the the kind of guy that Brooks Kepka is for the sport. Edgy, talks some shit, thinks he's better than everybody else. He's a good-looking guy. He dates uh, an F-list movie star. I mean, he's just kind of not your typical golfer, not your buttoned-up, been married since he was 22. Nice family guy. Like he's he seems different. But can anybody match? I guess the question is, can anybody match the outside of the regular golf audience that Tiger Woods drew? And I don't think it's just because uh, Tiger Woods is, was a minority or is a minority. I mean, he, of course, he attracted. Um, African-American eyeballs to the sport, but it, that's not the only reason why people loved watching Tiger Woods. It's because he wasn't your typical golfer. He cussed on the course. He slammed his clubs. He, I mean, people liked him even more after he had a sex scandal. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than can somebody else do what he did as far as non-typical no. golf audience? No, he's once and, once in a lifetime. I mean, just because no one's ever well, one because the the what he did to everyone catching up physically and everything, no one's ever going to be able to dominate the sport like he did. Like no one's ever going to win at Pebble Beach by eleven shots, then go on to win whatever out of the next however many majors after he did. Like there, there's just no room. There's no no one's ever going to be as far and above. Uh, competition wise that he was ever so like the reason he gained like the main reason he gained all that notoriety is because he dominated the sport like no one had ever seen no one's going to ever do that again it's just i i don't th- i don't think that's that's humanly possible in my opinion with the way modern golf is played and the way these guys come up with swing coaches and all like the physical nature of the game and what he did for golf fitness and all that all these guys are too good he was much better than everyone he played against for about four years i don't think that's ever happening again fair enough I know this incoming class is a transition class, but will Kiffin sign a top 10 recruiting class the following year? Once he gets a solid SEC staff together, do you think he'll be able to sustain top 10 classes on a routine basis? I think top 15 is realistic. Sure. Yeah, and um, I mean, they've got some guys coming in this weekend, and you've seen a couple of decommits in the state of Florida, one of which is a four-star running back that was a Pittsburgh commit that I think uh, they have a really good shot at. Um, there's a chance that this is a top 22-ish class for sure. And if that's what you get in a transition year, 2020 will be, or I guess 2021, uh, will be huge. But, I mean, that's why you got him. Like, it's it's a name. He's, going, he's a dynamic recruiter. Yes, I, I don't, top 10 every year, that seems a little bit of a reach. But top 15, I think. Just about every year is not unrealistic. How uh, we've got six or seven more. We'll run through these, make some picks, and get out of here. How 
does Oxford feel different over the past two days now that Kiffin is here? It feels like people are excited and business is booming. Yeah, I mean, hell yeah, man. That's why this hire was made. Like, go read anything. I mean, I've written it. I'm not, I'm not dismissing this. At Super Talk over the last like four or five days, really anyone, like the the entire general sports media column from that day was, hey, this is why he was hired. It's a party. It's definitely as excited as people have been. I would say since the beginning of the freeze era or thirteen fourteen ish. And again, that's why the hire was made. So yeah, of course it's different. Anything, Dad? No, no, I think that – I mean, I don't live there, so I have no idea. Oh, what yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> I kind of uh, – well, I was, I was thinking just the fan base in general. I'm more excited than Oxford, but yeah. Uh, do you I mean, think you Wayne- saw it. Yeah, I mean, you saw the crowd at his introduction. I, I mean, it, the, the energy there was greater than at some football games this year. I mean, actual football games. Yeah, I mean, it, Ole Miss is a is a school and a program that I don't think is as limited as people nationally want to say that it is. I think part of it is because Ole Miss couldn't get out of its own way for the longest time. Uh, they made bad hires and bad decisions, and I mean, up until the mid '90s, they were still waving Confederate flags at their game. Like Ole Miss, right now, I think. I mean, we'll never be on the level of Alabama or LSU, but I think that. It can be a perpetual eight, maybe even nine win program a year because it's a state that produces talent. I know Mississippi State's there, but Mississippi produces more talent per capita than like 47 other states in this country. Like the talents here, Ole Miss is a national brand, and Lane Kiffin, as long as he's there, will expand that tenfold that you can go get kids from other places. It's an attractive enough town. It's a cool college town. I mean, there's probably better places to go to college, better college towns out there, but not many. It's a cool place to go to school. It's accessible, and you have a fan base that, even though they've been checked out for a long time, Mississippi's a small state, man. And in the Hugh Freeze era, and this is when the the attendance numbers nationally were declining, Ole Miss sold record in season tickets and had record attendance in consecutive seasons. It's a fan base that will come if you give them a reason to. And all they've done is give them reason not to for the longest time. I mean, for three, four years now. But it's a, it's a group of people that will show up and will support, and the money can be there, not on the same level as Alabama, again. But Ole Miss has a recruiting budget, or a recruiting budget, an athletic budget that is bigger than Clemson's. You can compete nationally at a place like Ole Miss. You have a fan base that will support competency, not even just a big-time winner, just competency at a level that you wouldn't get at some other places. Do you oh, think that's just all you've needed? Do you think Lane Kiffin believes he can win a national title, SEC championships at Ole Miss? Yes, I think he believes that. Whether that's actually the case, I guess, remains to be seen. But yes, I do think he actually believes that. What does it take to be a doomsday prepper? I don't even want to get into this. That was the strangest story I've ever done. Um, but you basically have to have a cabin in the middle of the mountains with a bunch of uh, basically stuff to survive the apocalypse. And I'm not being flippant with that. Uh, for those of you that, I guess, don't listen to the radio show that don't know, uh, when I was an intern at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, I had to write a story on doomsday preppers and basically spent like, I didn't spend a week with them, but for on and off for two weeks, spent time and interviewing with doomsday preppers 
it was interesting but bizarre. So um, go find some sort of bunker to survive the apocalypse. I'm not shitting you. That is, uh, that's pretty much what it takes. He, like, there's no club. There's no initiation. Just go buy a bucket, you know, uh, some like food, water, uh, maybe some rope, uh, maybe some matches, candle uh, to make fire, uh, you know, some tools. And there you go. You're prepping. Here's what I've always wondered, though. Like these people that have these underground bunkers. And let's say that a nuclear war starts and the United States starts firing them at Russia and Russia fires them back at us. And then China gets in and everybody's just firing nukes at everybody. And you go into your underground bunker. What happens if something falls on top of the door? Well, if you want the serious answer, what we discovered from it was uh, was it's more of the idea of it. And the uh, it's it what we discovered was basically as a coping mechanism, because pretty much every single person we interviewed for that thing had something traumatic happen to them in life. Uh, like one guy was uh, standing next to someone he was walking down the street with in a drive by shooting like someone else lost uh you know, countless examples like that, some kind of traumatic experience that like, basically triggered some kind of mechanism in their brain that they need to be prepared for the worst at all times, and that's what they got into it. So uh, as far as logistically the world ending the apocalypse, I'm not sure uh, they've ever – maybe some of them have thought that far. I would say most of them haven't thought that far as the actual practicality of surviving it, but it's more the idea of being prepared for it and the activity of it. So – that's your serious answer if you actually want to know what goes through the minds of doomsday preppers. So learn all kinds of shit on this podcast. Um, yeah, took a dark turn there, but yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> didn't mean to get heavy on you there. But like that is uh, in case anyone was out there wondering why the hell did they do that. That seemed to be what we discovered as a common theme. Um, should Pumley play baseball now that both quarterbacks are back? Should no? Will he? Yes. I mean, it's, I say should no. He, he can do whatever he wants to do. Should he, if he wants a chance to actually compete for this starting job, I'd say no. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that he doesn't win the job, even if he hypothetically would have quit baseball. So stick stick with baseball. That's fine. Um, I don't I don't know what's in his mind, but if he is willing to not play quarterback, Lane Kiffin will find a way to get him the football and be a heavy part of the offense. Like. If he doesn't play quarterback, it's not as if he won't be heavily involved. And he'd probably be better suited not playing quarterback anyway as far as if he wants to play football at the next level uh, and if Ole Miss wants to win games. Lining him up in the slot at flex, at halfback, at quarterback at times would be the best use for him. If he would be willing to to do that, um, that will really, really help Ole Miss. I think – well, that's Limiting him going, to the quarterback position uh, is just not. That's where this decision's going, isn't it? Is one like he wants to? He came to Ole Miss because one, he wants to play baseball, and two, he wants to play quarterback. And it seems that it's coming. If you want to be the full time quarterback, you can't play baseball. If you want to play baseball, you can do something else than play full time quarterback. That seems to be what this is coming down to. I could be wrong, but that seems to be the skinny of it. He's going to have to make some sort of decision. And Lane Kiffin never promised him he could play quarterback. So even though it's not right that he came to Ole Miss because he was promised he'd get a shot, Lane Kiffin didn't make that promise. And he owes – I mean, John Rice Plumley owes Lane Kiffin nothing, but Lane Kiffin owes John Rice Plumley nothing either. Uh, Here's a take quake from Dead River Captain, who's our second-to-last question uh, that's also John Rice Plumley related. Due to message board 
uh, again, citing some hard evidence here, due to message board and a lot of media covering Ole Miss keep insisting that uh, John Rice Palmer is not the right quarterback going forward. Is there a chance he chooses to transfer and hires Tom Mars to get eligibility to play next season at Florida or State? <laughs> um, his coaches that signed him did get fired. So a lot to unpack there. I think you're on to something maybe slightly. I would say there is a possibility he would if, – if he's not allowed to play quarterback and play baseball, I do think there is a possibility he might try to go somewhere else. I wouldn't consider that quote-unquote likely at this point, but I definitely think it's possible. In fact, I know it's possible um, or at least on the table. Uh, so definitely something to monitor going forward. As far as Florida or Mississippi State, I got no idea, man. I don't see that realistic, and well, I don't feel like talking about Tom Mars today. Uh, and Tom Mars also now is on NCAA payroll, at least in some capacity. And it, it appears that the organization is done granting these kind of waivers. And, I mean, there's a risk that you don't get a waiver. And also, what would his reason be to be eligible to play baseball. You know what I mean? Mike Bianco still has a roster spot for him. So, I mean, he would maybe be immediately eligible in football, but he'd still have to sit out a year in baseball, right? Isn't that how that would work? I, I believe so. As far and as baseball. But he's not getting that waiver, man. They, they, are, they are done. They have turned down waivers the last few um, that have much more reason to be granted than my coach got fired. Like there, it's it seems to be that they're done doing that, and you don't want to take. I mean, do you want to take that risk? Because in two years, he could be making millions playing baseball, or getting drafted in the fifth round by Bill Belichick and becoming a Hall of Famer somehow. Uh, is he really is a, making? I don't know if he's a pro draftable prospect in baseball, though. I don't know. I, I've had so many people tell me that. Uh, no, he shouldn't stop playing baseball because he is a first-round draft pick. So whatever. that's definitely not true. I mean, I, 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 I look. I know he can. I don't know exactly what he is as a baseball player. I know he can run and field okay. I don't know if he can hit. But as far if he were a first-round baseball talent, that would have definitely thrown more of a wrench in the recruiting process. So like that, that's just not not feasible. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd like to see what he is as a baseball player, and but I think eventually a decision is going to have to come, particularly if he wants to continue to play quarterback full time. That's pretty much what this comes down to, no, does it not? Sure. And, and look, there's a chance that he can win the job. There's a chance that Lane Kiffin loves him and uh, will know how to use him, and he wins the job. It just it, it doesn't appear like he fits what Lane Kiffin's going to want to do. I agree, but if he improves as a passer, then he becomes a hell of a problem for a lot of defenses. But again, how do you do that from the baseball field? I don't know. Interesting to follow. Last mailbag Friday question we have, uh, or last couple, what do you think of Levy? Uh, I think he has a good – I don't know very much about him. I mean, I don't know him at all, but I, I, he has very good credentials, comes from a very good background. I don't think you can ever have too many quarterback developers in a room. I think he and Kiffin will work well together, particularly since Kiffin obviously handpicked him. So I think it's a good hire. That's Ole Miss coordinator, offensive coordinator Jeff Levy hired him from the same position at UCF. They also made the Kevin Smith and Wilson Love, the strength coach, Hires official yesterday. That was a bit of housekeeping that took us an hour and 10 minutes to get to. Uh, I thought we had a question sooner than that. What's the timetable? He fills out a whole staff. I don't know. After the early signing period, I think. I think they're trying to just get as many 
crucial pieces in there as possible, salvage as much as they can in this early class, take a week or two to actually get the staff kind of tweaked and finely tuned, and then close in February, I think, is the general game plan. Yeah, that sounds about right. Although there is a official visitor weekend coming up this weekend, as far as I understand it, and uh, there's some guys that could help them in the early signing period that'll be there. It sounds like, but I don't. I'm not. A yeah, big no, absolutely. Guy. But I don't think them having a full-on staff in place is necessary for that to be a success. No, not at all. Um, that it's was all about part. February. It's closing in February, salvaging now and closing in February. And you don't need a staff right now to close in February. And there's also an element to, I mean, his staff is going to be filled with guys who are employed elsewhere. And there very well could be some reluctance to, to change jobs before this early signing period. They could very well be waiting until after. I mean, it's kind of shady. It sucks. Uh, I wish they would eliminate that practice. But there are going to be a lot more staff changes around college football after the early signing period. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's just kind of the way nature of the business. That is uh, – that is all of our uh, mailbag questions. We had a ton of the. That might have been a record high. We've gone a long time. That doesn't matter. Let's get, roll into this LB's pick and then get out of here if that sounds good. Um, good. Let me pull it up real quick. We got no college games this week other than Army-Navy, which we'll pick because I like Army-Navy. Uh, I never answered that on yesterday's radio show. My thing with Army-Navy is I love watching it, but it's still not appointment viewing for me. Like, I'm not going to plan my day around it, but I have nothing. To, like, if I'm sitting there watching TV, I'm 100% watching that. Uh, that snow game in 17 comes to mind that was super cool. Or maybe that was no, that was 8? Eight, eight? No, it had to be 17. Yeah. They had a few of them recently. Yeah. Um. Uh, whatever. Let's just start with that. Navy's minus 10.5 against Army. I, I think Navy's really good. Right? I don't know a ton about Army. Um, hmm. 10.5 seems big. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the, the points with Army. That game's usually closer than that. Yeah, I'll go Army as well. Um, not a big boat guy. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I don't know. I'll go Army. Too many points. Uh, let's see. Huge NFL slate. Uh, that Thursday night game kind of stunk. Last night, uh, Lamar Jackson's really good. The Jets are not. Although Sam Darnold is, uh, they would be in the AFC playoff hunt right now if it were not for his uh, mono. And he actually impressed me through last night because they were shorthanded on receivers. His, his offensive line, to borrow a line from Ryan Russillo, blocks like they hate their running backs and quarterback. Um, he's pretty good. And if you get, I think if, the next year, if he has like one of the full complement of receivers, they could be a frisky team in the AFC. I was impressed by Sam Darnold last night. Yeah. Is Adam Gay still the coach, though? I think so, because he has a reputation. One, they're only one year in. I know the GM there that didn't hire him, but he's only one year in. They missed, he missed four games. They're five, they're five and nine with him missing four games due to mono. He has an impeccable pe pedigree in terms of developing quarterbacks. Peyton Manning kind of be at the forefront of that. Why would they can him? Yeah, that's a good point. And, I, I mean, mean, that game could have been close at halftime, too, if New York just found a way to close drives. And he not threw a bad pick at the end of that first half. Yeah, that was terrible. 
All right, here we go. This is an electric game. Detroit is getting four and a half, four, excuse me, at home against Tampa Bay. Jameis, most electric player in the league. They're going to roll David Blau, I think is the cat's name, and the Lions. So give me the Bucks on the road. Yeah, same here. Washington's plus five and a half at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, God, what a gross line. What a gro- I mean, it's a gross game. It's a terrible division. What an embarrassment to the sport of football. Uh, the Eagles will win by more than five, though. Yeah, I think so, too. But the Redskins are, like, okay-ish at home. But I still think they're just going to find a- – Eagles have to win that game. I agree. Eagles. Uh, Bears – or Packers minus four at home against the Bears. This is a uh, – look, man, if, like, I, for all the crap, like, Trubisky was in the uh, kind of the internet – like the crosshairs of the internet for about eight to nine weeks um, has played better the last couple weeks. I think I still don't think it's a long-term answer, but if you actually want to pe- people to get buy back into you, you go win this game at Lambeau. I, against my better judgment here, am going to take the bears. I think the Packers are very predictable on offense. And I think against a really good defense, like the bears, Rogers is going to struggle a little bit. I think I'm taking the bears. Uh, I want the Bears to win. I don't think they will, but I want them to. It'll really help the Saints in uh, getting getting that first-round bye. Well, I guess second-round bye. And uh, avoiding potentially Seattle coming to the Dome for your first playoff game. So uh, I want the Bears to win, so I'll just pick them because of, uh, that's what that's I want. That's a soft two-seed if Green Bay gets it. That's a really soft two. I don't even think they're that good. Like, if they get the th- the two and the Saints get the three, that's kind of a travesty because the Saints would beat them by 10 points. Yeah, I, I would hope so, but I have no idea anymore with how their secondary is playing. Here's a great game. Cincinnati plus 10 at home against the Pats. Uh, P- Pats. Oh, yeah, especially because the Patriots now know uh, the Bengals' uh, signals in rotation after cheating. So, uh, yeah, they'll win by more than 10 because, you know, they have they have the tape. Uh. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Houston or Tennessee minus three game of the week. Really, I can't believe this hadn't been flexed. Tennessee minus three at home against Houston. Um, Dude, Saints Niners didn't get flexed last week. What the hell are they doing? I uh, I don't know. I maybe it's a thing they've had San Francisco on too much. I I really don't know. Oh well, that's probably one of those things where they had their sites. It was a it was a CBS week, and so the CBS took the AFC game, probably. But uh, actually, when you get to it one time, though, I kind of liked what they did. I loved having Saints Niners at noon and uh, Pats uh, Chiefs at three. I mean, even if you switched them up, like I would have liked it, too. I'm just saying as someone who had no dog in either fight, I liked having two of those primetime games and a badass Sunday night game. Um, Titans. Anyway, Titans minus three. Titans, probably the hottest team in the NFL right now. I'm not being a homer here. I'm going to take Tennessee. I think they're going to roll Houston. Yeah, I do too, and that sets up a huge game in uh, Nashville next week when the Saints go to Na- uh, to the Titans. That'll be awesome. Uh, that will. So- Tannehill's playing good. I know they gave him an extension. That I thought that was a little dramatic because you've seen this in stretches of Tannehill's career, but they're asking him to throw the ball way down the field more, and he's doing very well. A.J. Brown has become a monster. That team, like – if I'm some other team in the AFC right now, I don't want Tennessee as my wild card team or even the divisional team that has to go on the road in the second week. Like I, I would want no part of the Titans. Me either. And I mean, he's got such a better roster now than what he had at Miami. So maybe it's just a product. He's always been like this. He's just, you know, finally has a pretty decent complement of talent around him. Yep. 
I agree. Uh, Carolina plus six and a half at home against the Seahawks. What a gross game. I think Carolina is a shot fighter on their last leg. That's a lot of points, but I think Seattle gets right after a really bad performance last week. Yeah, same here. I mean, I can't believe they fired Ron Rivera. I think the Browns should hire him, and they're just going to kind of suck until next season. Denver is plus nine and a half at Kansas City. I think I'm going Denver here. They've been pretty good with Drew Locke, and even before they had the quarterback thing, they're one of those things, to borrow a Bill Simmons phrase, they're one of those teams where if you replay the the season in a simulation ten times, there's probably two times where uh, Denver's actually nine and four here instead of six and eight or whatever they are, five and eight. Um, they're like the good bad team this year. I uh, They've got a really good defense. They seem to have found something with Drew Locke. I think that's too many points. It's the Drew Locke ex-girlfriend revenge game. That's right. In case you don't listen to the radio show, Drew Locke's ex-girlfriend's dad owns the Chiefs. And he's going back to Kansas City to uh, to play. And she's the heir to her dad's fortune and to the team. Uh, so it's his ex-girlfriend's team. Uh, and he'll get his revenge. I don't know why they broke up, though. So maybe it was she should get revenge on him. Either way, uh, they're going to cover nine and a half. Here's a slugfest. New York is my, the Giants, minus three and a half at home against the Dolphins. Uh, give me the Dolphins here. Taking the Giants because it's Eli's last start ever. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope he does well. But Dolphins frisky, playing in New York back-to-back weeks. Um, we're going out of order here. I don't know why this list has it out of order. Sunday night game is Steelers and Bills. Uh, Mike Tomlin is somehow inexplicably going to get a wild card for this team. Just for the Titans' sake, I'm going to pick the Bills here at plus one and a half. Um, I still don't 100% buy the Steelers, even though their defense is really good. Um, I don't feel great about this, but I, I need the Steelers to lose, so I'm going to go that way. Yeah, I love Duck Hodges, but uh, I was actually impressed by Buffalo in a loss to Baltimore. I mean, they played Baltimore so well, and this is – if the Titans aren't the hottest team in the NFL, it's because the Ravens are. And so I think we learned a lot about Buffalo in the last – well, three weeks, really um, – but especially last week, even in a loss. So I will uh, I'll take the Bills as well. Arizona plus three at home against Cleveland. Arizona's the team that everyone thinks is going to be frisky, and then they find ways to lose games. That said, Cleveland's kind of a mess. This feels like a game they're going to lose. Yep, I like Kyler Murray. I think uh, Cliff Kingsbury actually might be okay. And um, Freddie Kitchens is awful, and the Browns are a dumpster fire. So San Francisco minus 10.5 at home against the Falcons. The Falcons, to their credit, have not – seem to be given up uh i think san francisco is coming off a huge win i think there's a bit of a hangover here they win the game but that 10 and a half is a lot in the nfl i'll go with the falcons here oh shake the niners um but they have the falcons have been playing better lately i don't think it saves dan quinn's job but i hope it does here's a great game between game two teams have to win the cowboys keep finding themselves in these games dallas is a one and a half point home underdog to the rams who played much better last week uh, give me the Rams. Dallas hasn't beaten anyone good. It's because they aren't. Yeah, they are. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's Dak's fault either, but like they, they haven't. Give me the Rams here. Yeah, I still can't believe they paid Zeke Elliott what they did. But uh, they'll learn to regret it, and uh, especially this week, because they're going to lose. Chargers plus one and a half at home against Minnesota. Minnesota is going to roll them and have 20,000 seats worth of purple in that place. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that is a. Uh, I'll watch it for sure. Um, I, I'll go with you. 
I'll go with Vikings here. Last one we got, Saints-Colts, Monday Night Football, Saints minus nine. Colts are not the same team. They don't have T.Y. Hilton. I don't think Brissett is anywhere close to 100% Saints roll them. Yeah, they will. Pissed off Sean Payton, pissed off Saints team. They'll play better defensively, even though their pass rush has been kind of depleted now. No Sheldon Rankins for the rest of the season. No Marcus Davenport for the rest of the season. Uh, that sucks, but they're just significantly better than Indianapolis. That was our LB's Pick'em. Go to LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger, best place in Mississippi to get meat. We'll have Greg back for the bowl season to get you some uh, holiday locks to pay off some of your uh, Christmas shopping you've done. Greg's got the locks and the deals. He's got uh, all kinds of specials. Lane Train special, Bacon Wrap Filet. They've got uh, some kind of uh, Kermit Davis special. They've got steaks, custom cuts, seafood, all kinds of good stuff. He's got plate lunches in there if you want to go grab something to eat for lunch then decide what you're going to throw on the grill for dinner or vice versa. Whatever you want to do, Greg can help you go get it. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the podcast. Greg was fired the hell up about the lane train. He was texting me the Monday before it happened asking if it was a possibility and also bragging about his two locks that hit. Um, <laughs> so Greg is, uh, Greg's got it going on over there right now. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. Go see him. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, absolutely the best place to get meat in the state of Mississippi, without a doubt. Um, I, you got to remind me to actually get the uh, picks uh, like tallied up this week. I forgot that last week. That was a Colin responsibility, and then I just forgot to do it. So remind me that we'll have that on Wednesday show because we still got Monday Night Football. But uh, unless you got anything else, I'm getting out of here. No, that's it, man. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. We gave you a nice long Friday podcast. Uh, maybe you're uh, listening to it on your drive somewhere, but have a safe and responsible weekend. Um, I'm headed to a wedding this weekend, so I've just been wedding it up lately. I'm hitting that age where people are getting married on purpose. Yeah, enjoy your time. That's uh, <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy them, and then. Uh, Dread every day you get a save the date soon. Yeah, that's pretty much the mode I'm entering. I am, uh, I'm on. I would say pretty much 24, pretty much on the front end of that still. So, um, yeah. So nothing like uh, drinking beers and suits. Um, so for uh, like and if you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be uh, we'll be back at it on Monday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.